You're listening to The Real Well Show with Kathy Fetke, the real estate investor's resource. Our guest today turned $10,000 into a $5 million real estate portfolio, and she's here to tell us how she did it. I'm Kathy Fetke, and welcome to The Real Well Show. Monika Sawyer describes herself as a blissful millionaire who worked just 5 to 10 hours a month building her real estate wealth. And she's on a mission today to help other women do the same. So, Monika, welcome to The Real Well Show. Thank you, Kathy, for having me. I always love our conversations. Likewise. I can't wait for our audience to hear about your story, how you started with $10,000 and turned it into $5 million. Is that right? That's right. <laughs> All right. Let's, let's go back to the beginning then. How did you get started with $10,000? So my real estate story actually started when I was three years old. Oh, okay. Um, Youngest before, yet. Uh, yeah. <laughs> my parents came to this country as immigrants. And they were newlyweds with an arranged marriage. So they barely knew each other. And they had $200 in their pocket. Wow. And my dad had heard that the golden ticket to wealth in the United States was to buy real estate. So they saved all their nickels and dimes, right? And then after I was born, they were so filled. You know how new parents are. They're like filled with joy and hope and love. And they wanted to build this future for this new child. Me. Yay. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, mom and, and dad. <laughs> oh, I know. Thank you, mom and dad. So they continued to save all their nickels and dimes. My mom's a doctor, but she would like, you know, make her own curtains. You know, she would make her own. She would sew her own little pillows for her, her sofa or whatever. And they were just saving all their nickels and dimes. And eventually they bought their first home and then they bought their first rental property. And so then you fast forward, they had a couple more kids, fast forward 15 years. So they bought their first property when I was three. Wow. And then you fast forward 15 years and they paid for my college education with real estate. Oh, wow. They did the same for my sisters. And they paid for all of our weddings. So I got to see my entire life, the magic of real estate, like what it could do, right? Mm. But I also got to see the stress. So many people, when they're looking at investing in real estate, they've heard about the toilets and the termites and the tenants and the mortgages and all the nightmare stories, right? I'm sure a lot of your clients have heard about this stuff. And it, it makes them hesitate to get into the industry, right? Mm. When I graduated from college, it was a recession. <clears throat> and I couldn't find a job. And I remember freaking out and telling my dad, like, how am I going to do this adulting thing? Like, how am I going to make it on, on my own? I'm one of those women, Kathy, you know me, super independent. I did not want to have to get married to make my, to, to survive, right? I wanted to be yeah. my own woman. And um, so I needed to figure this out. And I was sitting with my dad and I told him, I do not want to be in real estate. Like I had my heels dug in. I did not want that stress, right? I was like, no, thank you. I don't want to do it the way you're doing it. <laughs> That's right. This sucks. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen your stress, dad. Um, and he said to me something that night that changed my life. He said, Monica, everybody has money issues. Everybody has fear. Everybody has stress. Do you want Poor people money issues, or do you want rich people money issues? Mm. 
and my first thought was rich people have money issues, you know, (laughs) (laughs) they're better though. I just have to say (laughs) more options. Yeah. Yeah. More options. So in that moment, I decided we were going to go with rich people, money issues. I was going to figure it out, (laughs) but I, you know, me, I'm all about bliss, right? I'm known as a blissful millionaire. And I determined at that moment that although my dad was a great mentor and I, because a legacy, I had learned a lot. I was not going to do it the same way. I didn't want that kind of stress. So what happened is I decided to get into real estate. I had no money, right? So I started saving my money mm-hmm. and then I got engaged. And for my, for my husband's and my wedding, we asked for money, no gifts, no cool things. We just wanted money. So we got $10,000. We actually got $13,000. Nice. I had that much saved, right? Including what I had saved and what he had saved. And we put $10,000 down on our first home. Now, this is the interesting thing, right? When you, people always think there's so much talk about buy rentals, right? Those are the assets, right? For me, the best that we could do to get into real estate was to put 5% down on a primary residence with, because you get lower income, you know, you get lower rates, you have a lower down payment. There's all these advantages, So we got into that home, you know, like scraping by. (laughs) And then as it appreciated, I took money out on that and then started to buy other properties. So that's kind of the path that I took. Um, Mm. I bought at the top of a couple of bad markets. I bought at the top of 2001, 2008. Um, And I just tell people that because I want people to know and being transparent that you can make mistakes in real estate. But as long as you have a plan, you can still be super successful. Does that make Mm. sense? Yeah, absolutely. And so let's talk about that. In 2001, what did you buy and how did you still make money on it? Yeah, so 2001. So what we did is we took that first primary residence that we had. We took all the equity out of that and I bought a nicer home for myself (laughs) in 2001. So that was our home. And then we rented out the, the one that we had been living in. Okay. Okay. In 2001, I think the market dropped. It dropped pretty dramatically, but I think that house dropped about 30%. But we were, it's all about location. For me, at least, that's what I believe. It's all about location. Mm -hmm. And I play appreciation. So we were living in the home. We're going to have to pay the mortgage anyways, right? So over time, it appreciated. It went back up. It recovered in about five years. And then in about another three years, I had more money that I could take out of that house. And then 2008 hit and I bought another home that I was moving into. Yay. Within three months, that one lost 50%. I had spent a million dollars on that house. Oh, I know the feeling. (laughs) We did the same thing. I know, right? You're like, oh, the market's going good. This is going to be great. So I just want people to hear, you know, even those of us that have been in the industry, we make these mistakes, right? But the other one had appreciated. So in 2009, now it was like Monopoly. I hate to say this because there was so much pain, but it was kind of like Monopoly. I had all this equity in this house that I had taken the equity out of, right? So, and I know that you advocate getting a HELOC, right? And then using it, (laughs) right? So we used that HELOC. I bought five other properties and I held onto the primary residence again. And then that one again appreciated. It doubled actually in five years, which was interesting. Wow. Um, And so, and so that's kind of what I've been doing. Real estate money has always stayed real estate money. We don't invest a lot of our own money. So it's been kind of a a slow ride, but we were able to retire ourselves within 15 years with that strategy. 
Oh, wow. And there's the, there's the golden nugget. So that, because everybody is often worried about doing exactly that. Am am Mm. I buying at the peak? Am I going to have to wait another five years after it it crashes and is worth 50%? And um, it is really phenomenal. Granted, uh, the last 10 years have been perhaps unusual in terms of an upside. Mm. But the, the key seems to be here that you were in a position to be able to hold these properties regardless of the value at the time. Is that correct? That is correct. And that's the most important thing that I want to convey to people. Don't over leverage. Make sure you've got reserves, right? Because several of my properties went empty during COVID. Several of my properties went empty during the 2008 thing because nobody knew what was going on. People were losing jobs, right? So I needed to be able to carry the properties, Right. So many people, what they did is they freaked out. They're underwater, right? They freak out. They sell the property and take a loss or file for bankruptcy. I didn't want to do that. Mm. I wanted to hold those properties because I had confidence in the markets that I had invested in. Right. Mm. And I had confidence in my strategy. And so I had the reserves. I was able to hold the properties, rented them out for to cover the mortgages, you know, pretty soon. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, and so that's what made it. And I think it scares me a little bit. Like I talk about, I only put 5% down on my very first home, but I was living there. When you're living there, you're still, you know, it's, it's, you're going to pay rent anyways. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Right. But even on other properties, if I, if I'm underwater, I want to make sure that I can rent them out, you know, and and hold them until things are better. And if you're in a, in a market that has traditionally done that, um, so you're, I assume you're talking about the San Jose Bay area. I am. Yep. Yeah. That's, that's an area that is, is not, uh, that's not new that prices can go up and prices go down and they mm-hmm. do it dramatically. So probably somewhere in your mind, you thought it's just going to come back again. It's just right? going to come back again. Not that it yeah. wasn't stressful because when yeah. it's down, it's down, right? Yeah. Like it's a little bit of a roller coaster ride. Um, and I know that your strategies that you help people with are a little bit more stable. <laughs> They don't cause the roller coaster ride emotionally, but and you know that's why I talk so much about bliss. So if you don't mind, I'd like to define bliss as I see it. Is yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. So let's bliss, talk about bliss. Yeah. So we don't talk about that very much here. <laughs> what the heck does bliss have to do with real estate? <laughs> so bliss for me is this deep sense of joy and contentment, and the confidence that you can handle anything that the world throws at you, anything that comes your way. So it's really about emotional mastery and emotional resilience. Recently, I read a quote by um, Warren Buffett, and he says, if you can't control your emotions, you can't control your money. Mm. And I will say that, so you can see the relationship between bliss and money, right? Yeah. Um, So for me, I think the things that thing that really saved me along the way is I made good choices, right? I, I did not over leverage. Um, I got some good advice around that, right? But the other thing is I didn't allow my emotions to create havoc the way it did for so many people, right? It was Mm -hmm. my bliss practices that kept me stable and allowed me to make business decisions rather than emotional or fear-based decisions. Does that make sense? Yeah, well, I mean, but it also sounds like you might have over leveraged just a little bit, meaning that you you got into some of these homes with very little money down. Mm-hmm. Uh, when the when the values went up, you took the cash out and bought more uh, with I, I'm guessing fairly highly leveraged loans. So some people might say that you were over leveraged, but would you would you say that the way you counteracted that is that you had enough reserves in place for vacancies and and repairs? 
Thank you for bringing that up. So I never leveraged over 80%. Okay. So that's what I'm saying by not over leveraging. Yes, you're right. We were over leveraged. <laughs> <laughs> but, when, but a lot of people were like, oh, I can just get 95% right now. I'm going to do that. I didn't yeah. do that. At least, you know, the first 20%, I was still, <laughs> still, still in the, the game, yep. right? <laughs> yeah. Right. But yeah, it was because of the reserves and because of the locations that I had picked. Um, I knew, I kind of knew the history of how rents went up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, I was able to cover the mortgages with rent, the rents that came in. So that's kind of how yeah. I counteracted that. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a very different, um, mindset or I should say game plan versus say buying and, um, trying to think of somewhere in the middle of Missouri or something, or, mm-hmm. uh, not necessarily Kansas city, which we know is a growing area, but let's say you go way out in the suburbs where rents don't go up and prices don't go up, then it that's might right. be a different story. Absolutely. And I think that's why when we look at our strategy, it's really important to think about all of those things. Like what do, a lot of those markets where the rents don't go up so much. It's also true that the, the properties, the property values don't dive the way mm-hmm. that they do here. That's right? true. It's just more linear. It's more linear all the way across. So if that's your strategy, that's awesome. There's no roller coaster ride there. I mean, you'll see a little bit, right? Yeah. But you're well, not- just in the aging of homes, right? right. Properties. Who was it? Uh, Tim, our our uh, longtime employee, Tim Tim Horvath said he heard someone say that the Earth is always trying to take back <laughs> what, <laughs> what she's given oh, and homes. Right. They get dilapidated, right? They do. Tries to take them back. They they need constant upkeep. Yeah, Um, we do kind of factor that in, right? When we're looking at what it's going to take to hold these properties and for the rents and all of those stuff, that's all part of the initial evaluation. Of course, there are surprises, right? (laughs) Yeah. But but a lot of the times we have that in in sort of in the the number crunching phase. We kind of have we allow for reserves for that, right? Um, and then we have insurance in case there's really, really big things that happen, you mm-hmm. know, like Mother Earth off- offers us a tornado. <laughs> right. <laughs> or I'm taking, I'm taking this. <laughs> exactly. It's my land. Yeah. I'm going to win. I always win. <laughs> so stubborn sometimes. <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> and it takes a little bit of that, wouldn't you say? Like, yeah. it's that stubbornness that keeps us going, you know? <laughs> yeah. No, I love it. So blissful practice, what you said that is your, uh, your practice of bliss that kept you calm through mm-hmm. the storm, through the difficult times. Mm-hmm. What, what does that entail? Yeah. So first I cry. <laughs> <laughs> works, works for me every time. <laughs> I think that because I talk about being blissful, it doesn't mean that we don't have the range of emotions. Those range yeah. of emotions share, tell, like indicate to us kind of things are wrong or things are great. Like what's working, what's not working. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's good to really honor those feelings. And so crying is the first step, um, allowing and honoring <laughs> or however you deal with stress or like, or sadness or fear. It's good to really honor those emotions. And then, you know, I wrote a book called choose bliss. It's got like 14 different practices that I do, but the one that I use the most, and I like to give to audiences is what I call creating a bliss moment. May Sherry? Oh, please. Okay, good. <laughs> so when stress starts to happen in your life, let's say I just noticed I'm watching Zillow and I'm watching my property values go down and I'm freaking out, right? The thing isn't 
we're not reacting to the actual thing that's happening. We're reacting to the story in our head. I'm going to lose everything. I'm going to be homeless. Oh my God, I made a bad decision. I'm terrible. You know, all these stories that happen in your head. So the very first thing is to stop the story. So you do an interrupt. So for me, I will literally in that moment, if I'm not in public and public, I do something a little bit different, but in that moment, I'll say, stop. Literally, I will say outside out loud, stop and stop all the, all the chatter that's going on in my head. And then I drop into my body, my heart, take three deep breaths, push that breath down into the ground and reground. And from that place, I'm much more grounded and stable and the chatter has stopped. Mm-hmm. So I can make different decisions about what that chatter is going to be. I can change the chatter. I can also change whatever whatever decision I'm making in that moment comes from a more much more heart centered, rational place. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I love that. Uh, Rich was, uh, as you know, Rich does the Focus Investor uh, seminar every yeah. January and leads with breath. Uh, you know, just three deep breaths can shift your energy completely. Absolutely. So you don't say the wrong thing to somebody mm-hmm. or you, you know, just don't make the wrong decision and, you know, sell everything for cheap. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta get out of this at the, at the bottom. <laughs> exactly. And I will just say that it doesn't, and breath shifts us immediately, but this isn't necessarily the easy practice. When you're stressed out, you're stressed out, right? So the first couple of times you try this, you may be like, that didn't work. Give it some time, allow your body to get used to this new way of dealing with what's coming at you, right? Mm -hmm. Literally, if you do it a few times, you start to get used to, oh yeah, I can really take that deep breath, Mm -hmm. right? Because so much of the time when we're stressed out, that deep breath still only goes to our chest. That's what we're used to, right? You want to take it all the way down. And it takes a little bit of practice, but it's well worth it because it's a quick fix in any situation that's stressing you out. No, I love that. Uh, My grandson, who's two, just signed up. He just did, well, he didn't sign up, just did his first (laughs) soccer camp. Uh And it was so cute because two-year-olds, you know, they just... Um, but there were some really stressed out parents because uh, their two-year-old wasn't, you know, following direction. And it's like, well, what did you expect? They're two. Um, right. <laughs> they, they haven't got it into mind that the you know, soccer is going to pay for college. You know? so, yeah. Anyway, it, it is funny um, how we can get stressed out over the smallest things. And, and, uh, and just, again, some deep breaths to bring us back to reality. Oh, it's a two-year-old. They're, they're just chasing balls around at this point. That's right. Let them play. (laughs) Let them play. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, very good. Okay. So you ended up in a Ted talk. Tell me about that. Oh yeah. So, um, I actually had, it was so interesting. I had an evolution on the Ted talk. I really wanted to talk about real estate. My whole thing is about creating choice, as you know, Kathy. So for me, I want all women, I focus mostly on women. I want women to understand that we have choices. Like for me, I did not want to get married because I needed money, right? Like we (laughs) want to create the freedom that you can make choices based on what's right for you, not what you need. And so I'd wanted to do this Ted talk on real estate. Well, nobody would pick it up. So eventually I did a TED talk. It's called, who is the boss of you? Mm -hmm. And it's really about how are you making your choices and that money matters. You know, so many people want to believe that 
money is either evil or it doesn't matter or they feel bad because they focus on it. But the truth is that, first of all, in the talk, I talk a little bit about, yes, money does buy happiness to a point, right? There's a threshold and this is clinically proven. There's a threshold where your happiness levels do actually increase as you're making more money. But then after that, it can support your happiness because of your ability to contribute out into the world, Mm. right? And so, especially as women, so men, the, the, the science shows that men get, they get happier just by contributing. Women get happier by able to, being able to increase their contribution over time. Mm. So we talk about what are some things that you can do to create the freedom to choose and then how to make choices that are going to make you more blissful. So that's what the TED Talk's about. Mm. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. There is a, a trend and probably a growing one of people who are just angry with other people who have money and if they don't, uh, and you know, that is a, if you're angry at people who have money, you're probably not going to be one of those people who has money because you have That's judgment right. about it. That's or, right. Versus really looking for who, who are the people with money who are doing really great things in this world and how can I do that? Yeah. Yeah. There's so many people that believe um, money is a source of all evil. Like it's a misquoted um, uh, belief from the, tr- from the Bible, right? Mm-hmm. And I believe that money is the root of all potential. Mm. You know? I love that. Yeah. yeah. And I want people to have that, to have choices, to have potential and have freedom. It's so interesting uh, how you turned out to try to imagine your mother for example, Mm -hmm. in an arranged marriage where maybe she didn't feel like she had choice and then was able to raise a daughter with so, so much independence. That's incredible. Yeah. All three of us, all three of her daughters are that way. And you know what I love most about that is how proud both of our parents are about that. Like they came from this tradition. My dad wanted us to have arranged marriages. There was a lot of battling around that as we were growing up but they're so proud of our independence. And I love how they've evolved. I love the example that they've been for us. Yeah, that's, that's just incredible. Uh, America. America, it's amazing. America. Yes, it's amazing. <laughs> it's, it's a melting pot. It's just very, very cool. The other thing that was interesting is this idea of choice, which was recurring for me so much. Mom and dad got married. There was an arranged marriage. They did it the modern way. They knew each other for three weeks. Um, (laughs) In those days, that was amazing, right? Um, They were super modern. But whatever happened after that, their choice was, I'm going to stay married and I'm going to make it great. Not just work. I'm going to make it happy. We're going to have a happy life. And it set a really great example for me about we choose the life that we live no matter what our circumstances are. I think those were the very early learnings for me is just from that, knowing that they, they had to make choices to make this good. And the choices, I'm going to make it great. I love that. Yeah. 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 Here, so often here in in America and in modern world, make a choice and then suffer. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And the thing is that making the choice is the first step. Of course, you got to put in the work in all cases, right? But but making the choice is the first step. Love that. So what now? Are you uh, still buying real estate, selling, Mm -hmm. or what are your plans? Yeah. So I have a huge amount of equity and I'm moving towards retirement. Now, you know me, Mm -hmm. I will not stop working, but (laughs) 
I, I want to still have more freedom in my life. My parents are aging. My dad just turned 90. So I'm moving up to Sacramento to do more caretaking for him. Oh, wow. Um, and real estate's allowing that, right? Now mm. we can take all that equity and turn it into more cash flow properties, more like the strategies you teach, Kathy, mm. which is about turnkey and some different things that we're doing there. Um, so that's actually what's happening now is I'm in transition from appreciation to moving it all to cash flow. I also am looking for some construction projects. I do own a construction company. And um, so we're looking really excitedly at some new projects up in Sacramento. So that's probably oh, wow. that like, takes all my time. <laughs> it's going to be fun. Well, that's very exciting. I can't wait to hear about what you're doing in the Sacramento area. We, we stopped doing any development in California because the regulations are so, so difficult, but best of luck to you on that. Thank you. We, yeah. It depends on the kinds of projects. Again, this is all about research, right? So, yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. All right, Monica. Well, it's always so much fun to talk to you and I hope we can have a boss girl uh, weekend soon again. <laughs> I would really love fun. that. Yay. Thank yeah. you, Kathy. All right. Well, you take care and thanks so much for uh, coming here on The Real Wall Show. Thank you, Kathy. Great to be here. And thank you for joining me here on The Real Wall Show. If you'd like to learn more about how you can build real wealth with cash flowing rentals, go to realwealthshow.com and sign up for free. As a member, you'll get access to our investor portal where you'll get so much information and connect with our network of resources to help you on your way. Again, that's realwealthshow.com. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to realwealthshow.com.